Moses, the way of an intercessor. Lesson two. Father, we thank you once again for your word. We ask again that you would allow the word of God, that we would allow the word of God to gain entrance into our spirit, man, so that it might produce the light that would shine upon our way, that would cause us to see, to understand, so that we do not stumble. You said, he that walketh in the light, to him there is no occasion of stumbling. And Lord, that's evidently a possibility, and so we just ask in Jesus' name that you would continue to guide us and allow us to look through the light of your word as opposed to through the thoughts of our mind. In Jesus' name, now Lord, help us as we look again and begin to work with your work about Moses. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your notes, uh, we just we'll look, jump down to point three, which is at the bottom of page one. And it simply says this, what I wrote out was this, in response to his people's cry, in other words, I guess I better read the scripture first again so that you see it. Let me read the last three verses of Exodus 2. However, after a long time, nearly 40 years, the king of Egypt died and the Israelites were sighing and groaning because of the bondage. They kept crying and their cry because of slavery ascended to God. And God heard their sighing and groaning And earnestly remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites and took knowledge of them and concerned himself about them, knowing all, understanding, and remembering all. So this is the situation again. They're in bondage under harsh taskmasters. They begin to cry unto God. And again, this is the pattern. We say it in everything that we teach. I say it in everything that I teach. I learned it from Dr. Cole many years ago. Everything God does, he does according to a pattern. I'm sure you've heard me say it so much that you're bored with it, but you need to know it like you know your own name. Everything God does, he does according to a pattern and based upon a principle. Everything. All through the scripture, there are patterns. And here again, I started to more or less introduce this last hour when I said again this struggle between our a right and maybe not so right understanding of what the sovereignty of God's all about. Here is the situation. Why doesn't God then, he hears the cry of his people, they're in slavery under harsh taskmasters. They cry, they're groaning for 40 and 50 years. Actually, they were in bondage there for over 400 years, weren't they? But the fact is they're crying unto God. God hears them. He concerns himself with them. He understands all. He sees all. He understands all. So what does he do? What's his solution? What does he do? He looks for a man. Right? I mean, that's what we're going to find. He hears the cry. He hears all this going on. So chapter 2 kind of proceeds and shows. The, the, here's Moses when he's first brought up under Pharaoh's daughter. We see some things that we're going to get to in the top of the next page of notes. But what God's pattern is, what you're going to see evolve here and everywhere else, that when God sees a problem, he looks for an answer. Now, he is the answer, but his answer is going to come through someone who will hear him and someone who will obey him. This is why, again, I say I have a bit of difficulty. People say, well, God can do anything. Well, God's actually restricted to our obedience. 
He is restricted to what he can do by virtue of who will listen to him, who will seek him, who will be a willing and obedient vessel for him to use. I don't know why that's so difficult for people to comprehend. But again, history shows that the other way isn't the truth because God is not an evil God. So, you know, if it was a matter of God just stopping something, he could stop it. But evidently, he has to find a man. Of course, we all know Isaiah 59, the classic verse. God wondered, God was stupefied, God was amazed that, that there was no intercessor. Therefore, he sends his own son. All through scripture, when God sees tumult, sees injustice, sees terror, sees whatever, his response is, is to find somebody who will obey him and begin to trumpet his truth and speak out his will and begin to stand in the gap. So we begin, we begin, like I said, with Moses. The whole issue of why me wanting to teach this is because there's just some familiar patterns to hear. So and again, point three down there, I've got in response to his people's cry, what does God do? He prepares the heart of an intercessor. I've got down there two questions. I do this a few times. The question number one is, I said, does Moses start out his life knowing what God is going to do with him? Well, the answer categorically is no. And then, of course, I just put next to that, do you? And this is why we all have hope. <laughs> None of us start out in life. Moses had no idea what his purpose, his God-given purpose, was going to be. And see, again, this is why I want us to keep thinking collectively, as it were, about this, that all of us, remember, are in the same body of Christ. We're all now joined to the Lord by the same Spirit. We're all one Spirit with the Lord. Over and over again we say this. But none of us start out knowing really what our end purpose is going to be all about. Moses had no idea. Moses, all he knew was, as he learned and discovered later, we're going to see from other scriptures in Hebrews, he discovers that, you know, he's brought up in Pharaoh's Egypt. I mean, you've all seen the Ten Commandments, you know, and uh, you all know from looking at that how true the Bible is. But my point is, Moses is brought up in the house of Pharaoh. He lacks nothing, wants nothing. He's a prince in Egypt. And uh, so everything's taken care of. But again, this, this event happens. But here's where we begin to see something about the nature or the character of the guy, but how he responded before God as opposed to after God. It's really interesting to watch because we see so much of ourselves in Moses before he has this encounter with God that he's going to have at the burning bush later. But did, does Moses start his life out knowing what God's going to do with him? And I said, well, again, the answer is, of course not. And I said, do you? And the answer is no. The second question is, does Moses start out his life knowing his true heritage and his true identity? And the answer is no. Just like none of us really, you've heard me say over and over again, you will never discover who you are until you find yourself in the Bible. Your parents may have said this is who you are. Uh, your employer may have said this is who you are. Your husband or wife may say this is who you are. But until you find out who God says you are, you will not know who your true identity, where your true identity lies. Also, you'll never know where your true value lies because it's only in Christ that you find out who you are because now our lives are hid in Christ. So Moses has no idea about his true heritage and he had to discover it along the way just as you and I have to discover it. Again, that's why I say over and over again, life is a process of discovery. You know, the Bible says about this, the whole principle of revelation. It says that all things are hidden, that wisdom is laid up for us, not from us, I'm always quoting but also it says that everything that is hidden is hidden so that it might be revealed. Revelation, again, is just an incredibly important issue to God because when things are revealed to somebody, when something is discovered, it seems to be valued more than had it just been given you on a, on a gold plate. 
There's something about discovery that causes there to be a greater sense of value. When you discover, it's like you can, you can have five pound coins in your pocket or you can have you know, a, a 10 pound note in your pocket and it's not, I mean, you're happy that you have it, but it's not that big of a deal. But it doesn't mean as much to you as the 10 pound note that you find walking down the street. <laughs> you know what I mean? But there's no, but it doesn't intrinsically have any more value, but it has more value by virtue that it's something you discovered that you happened upon. And that's the same thing, it is, the same way it is with life. God's, God has a, a pattern in this. That's why he, he puts wisdom away for us. And I keep saying that not from us. See, he wants us to have an inquisitive attitude. He wants us to be searchers. He wants us to be people that think. He actually made you with a brain. That's revelation to some right there. <laughs> he actually made you with a brain. It's an organ that thinks, considers, looks at things logistically. Sometimes it gets messed up. That's why we have to get it renewed. But the point is he gave us a brain. He did it, so he evidently planned that we would use it. And he, what, what, he wants it to, what he wants us to use it, is, use it in is, again, in the pursuit of, of himself, that we might have our mind metamorphosized, that our mind might be renewed to the word of God, so that we might be able to prove what is the good, the acceptable, and perfect will of God. There just isn't any shortcuts. You know, I get bored with myself sometimes saying the same thing over and over again. You guys may get bored with me. I really get bored with me. I get so bored saying the same thing over and over again, but... I. There isn't any other way to say it. You, there's no shortcut. You just learn to get into the Word every day of your life and start to renew this hunt of meat between your ears so that when you, pressure comes, you, you don't find yourself just speaking out anything and everything. You, you begin to speak the truth of God and you begin to align yourself unto God. I mean... A million teachings come into play, and they're all the patterns of God. All from the beginning, God spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. We're created in the likeness and the image of God. We're to be copiers and imitators of God. Jesus said, have the God kind of faith. Paul said, God who calls those things speaks of non-existent things as if they already existed. I mean, all these things added together. I'm supposed to copy him. I'm to think the thoughts of God. I'm to think whatsoever things are pure, lovely, honest, just a good report. Then I'm to speak what I believe. Not what I feel, but I'm to speak what I believe. And then because of what I speak, I begin to create my own future. I begin to actually form, frame, and fashion my own life by virtue of the fact that I've chosen to take God's word and see myself and who, as who I am in Christ. I am the head, I'm not the tail. I'm ordained to be blessed. I haven't been born to be cursed. You know, no matter what's ever happened to me in my life, my future's bright because God is with me. And if God be for me, who could be against me? I'm strong in the Lord and the power of His might. I really am. <laughs> I mean, you know, and you just and that's 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 who I am. I am not somebody that's going to be cursed. I'm not somebody that's going to die pre premature. I'm not somebody that's going to have to whatever live in poverty. Whatever the things that are go through your soul, I'm not that because I find out who I am in here. This is who I am. I'm not confused. I have the mind of Christ. I'm a clear thinker. All of this, all of this, I mean, everything, all of the whole Bible is just a bunch of patterns that God's trying to communicate to us that if we'd ever actually understand, this is the greatest opportunity. I mean, you know, all the things you love to learn. I love to learn. I mean, I, I admit it. I just love to learn. I love to read. I'm a reader. 
And I mean, every, I, I just to think that all of this stuff is here to mine, you know what I mean? To dig out, to hunt up, to look at, to search out, whatever you want to look at, it, to know that every day of my life, I can add just a little bit more. And sometimes, like I said, every day isn't some jubilation day when I'm running all over the place. I learned something from God, you know? It's not, it's not that at all. It's just that I have this knowledge that every single day I continue to deposit, deposit, deposit a little bit more. And after a while, it adds up. You know, 10 pence may not sound like very much, but if it's been being deposited for, you know, 500 years, you know, four times a day, well, it adds up. And after a while, you have something you can begin to draw upon because the value has increased by virtue of your continual deposit of, of all this stuff. So Moses does not start out his life knowing his true heritage and his true identity. And you see, most of you actually don't yet know who you are. So Moses had to discover who he was as well. Now back here, uh, I put down here in the bottom of the outline, point A, in Exodus 2, verses 5 through 10 is where it says Moses' life starts out with his own needs not being an issue as he was nurtured as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Then in Exodus 2, left, we can read again from verse 11 through 14. I want you to see this afresh. Exodus 2, 11 through 14. Now remember, this is before he's cast out of Egypt. This, in fact, is what's going to cause this to happen. It says, verse 10, verse 11, it says, One day after Moses was grown, it happened that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of Moses' brethren. Now, there is, like I said, other scripture that backs up the fact that, see, first of all, you know, Pharaoh's daughter wound up telling, it is, that's one part where the Ten Commandments is correct, <laughs> the movie, rather. You know, that Moses discovers, this true discovery comes forth that he's born of a Hebrew and that he is a Hebrew. But because of Pharaoh's daughter and having claimed him as his son and what have you, which is a right under Egyptian, the way they, they did it at that time, whatever, he was as much a son of Egypt as, he, as any natural born son would have been. But there was something at work in his spirit. You see, there's a character trait that we're going to get to here that we see in him that's working already that I hope we can just look at it. It says, one day after Moses was grown, it happened that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of Moses' brethren. He looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed him. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He went out the second day and saw two Hebrew men quarreling and fighting, and he said to the unjust aggressor, why are you striking this comrade, your comrade? And the man said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid, and he thought, Surely this thing is known. At the top of your outline, page 2, I said, Circumstances arise that cause him to see and notice the pain of his own people. And this circumstance is going to propel him out of his sweet existence into one of relative sourness. And then I put this down. Moses kills a man like we have. In past times. Every one of you in here are murderers. <laughs> Every single one of you at some point, particularly before you knew Christ. See, this is, this is the mystery. You know, this is the thing that's in the spirit of every human being. You know, we murder people with their words, basically. You know, we still do even after we're saved. But before we were saved, in particular, we didn't think twice about um, the things that we would speak, the things that we would do, in most cases, but I, what I want you to see is, again, I want you to see parallels in this man, Moses, whom God is going to use to be a deliverer for the people of Israel. Because I want you to see that what was in him is in you. 
In other words, I want you to understand that it's part of training. It's part of knowing this. But you see, there's, there's part of Moses. Now, if I, you just see this next little bit where I put some lines on there. I just want you to think. I said, what character traits, what character traits can we already see in Moses' life? Well, just from those three verses about Moses seeing an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, so he kills him. And then the next day he sees somebody else, another Hebrew, having a fight with another Hebrew. And he comes up and kind of rebukes him. So just talk to me a minute, because this is school. I mean, just what, what are some of the traits that you can already see in Moses? What's possibly there? I'm looking for some things that may be positive that just have been used incorrectly. What I'm looking for is things like this. There's a desire for justice. There's a desire for justice. And yet, you find him uh, doing the wrong, you know, kind of the wrong thing, the right thing the wrong way. Uh, impetuousness, impulsive. All these things are already there, but it's all underlying this thing. There's something at work in his nature and his spirit already that he wants to see justice done. If you can just at least capture that. He wants to see some justice. He doesn't understand why there's all this injustice. You see, because the basic principle of all intercession is found between those two words, justice and injustice. In Isaiah 59, that's what it says over and over again. The whole issue of intercession is really bringing justice where there's injustice. So Moses, you see him seeing this guy getting beaten and he goes out and kills him. So he's got this something in him. Now remember, why I want you to think as you think over the, overall, the overview of Moses' life, here's a guy who looks this way and looks that way and comes up and kills this dude. Now we don't know if he killed him with a sword, killed him with his own hands or whatever, but he kills the guy, right? Well, that sounds like a guy that's, even though he looked this way and looked that way, he's not really afraid of an encounter. He kills the guy, Okay. I mean, he comes up and kills the guy. Now, so you think that there's some strength there, it looks like, or there's some attitude or there's some whatever, all mis, misapplied maybe, this desire to, 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 to make right and injustice. But also remember that later on in the Bible, in Numbers, what's it going to say about Moses after his encounter with God? It's going to say, now Moses was the meekest of all men upon the face of the earth. But think about that. So here we have this guy on this side, as it were, on this side of his of his encounter with God, where he's totally in his humanity and he sees things that causes him to say, there's got to be just, this is unjust. Something needs to be done. Well, I'm going to do it myself. You know what I mean? I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to take care of this business myself. And he does take care of business, as it were, and thinks nobody sees it. And of course, the very next day, like it says, he sees this argument between two of his own people. And, of course, he just says what he says to them. Why are you arguing? And this guy looks up to him and says, who are you to be a prince over us and a judge over us? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And it freaks him out because he didn't think anybody knew what he'd done. But there's always somebody that knows what you did. Trust me. <laughs> there's always somebody who knows what you do. And that's not to get you under fear or condemnation, but there just is. And in particular, I'm just saying, God, this is, thank God, you know, that again, he knows everything we do, everything we think, and he loves us in spite of ourselves. So Moses, I just want you to see that in, your, in the life because you see that there, there's these things in a person's life and character that are, as it were, in a state of no consecration that if 
Indeed, a person has some form of visitation or encounter with God often will lead them to a place of consecration where God will, as it were, convert that desire for justice that's sought incorrectly to a desire for justice that's sought through the way of God's Spirit that can actually produce life for very, very many. But this whole thing, as you watch his life, like I said, I'm just, I just try to figure out, like I said, the training of an intercessor or an intercessor in training, whatever you want to call it. You just begin to see how God looks down through the ages at people. And Moses is there, and this begins to happen. But I, I just so long for you to see that God's been watching you from the day of your conception. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb, the Bible says. And he has a purpose for your life. And God is so good that he will always, like all, when you, again, the biblical pattern is that God made himself known to all of Israel. And so in some way, shape, or form, see, God's faithful. He will make himself known to every single one of you. It may be different than the way he made himself known to me, but he will make himself known to you. It may be starting here, just a little voice here, a little thing here, an occurrence here or something even maybe something bigger than that, like a, a manifestation. But the fact is, God's desire is to visit you because he wants you changed. And he wants you molded into something that he can use. He wants you to become this vessel that he can use. None of us belong to ourselves anymore, the New Testament's going to tell us. The New Testament's going to tell us after we're born into Christ that none of us belong to ourselves that we belong unto God, that we've been purchased with the price, even the blood of Jesus Christ. And we've been purchased not uh, you know, so that we might live our own lives, but so that we might live his life. Uh, even in the Old Testament, it talks about God over and over again. He said, I didn't deliver you. He said, because you were righteous. He said, I delivered you that you might serve me. And he said, I'm not going to deliver you from your enemies. He said, because of your righteousness. He said, because quite frankly, you're a stiff-necked people. And he said, I'm going to deliver you, he said, because of my name that you bear. Now, that's a tremendous hope right there because, like I said at last hour as well, so many times I'm banking or I'm concerned about God's ability to do something and that how hampered it's going to be because of my own activity and my lack of perfection. And there's something that's really amazing that begins to happen in your spirit when you realize that I'm going to go into a place rejoicing in all of my weaknesses, knowing that when I'm weak, his strength will be seen upon me. That that's what his desire is. God loves to take those things that the world considers foolish and confound the wisdom of those who think they're wise. You have to remember that. What the world calls wisdom, God will laugh at and say it's stupidity. What the world sees as stupidity, God will say, that's my wisdom. And so that's why it is. It's when you first start to walk in these things, it's awkward, like I always say. It's like, again, the first time you get on a bike and you try to ride a bicycle and you're going like this because it's so strange to you. You're not used to it. You know, all this kind of stuff. Or the first time you try to drive a car with a clutch, if you've never driven a car with a clutch, and you know, back and forth. It's awkward, you know, when you begin to learn spiritual things. It's awkward to begin to understand that you're to call those things that be not as though they were because your mind's going, well, this is stupid, I'm lying. Or, you know, how can I say I feel well when I feel, feel bad? Well, I'm not saying I feel well because I feel well. I'm saying I'm the healed of the Lord because I am the healed of the Lord regardless of what my body feels like. But when you first start saying that, you go, this is dumb. 
I'm not going to say I'm healed because I'm not. You know what I mean? Uh -huh, I'm not going to say I'm healed because I'm not. It's so awkward to say, you know, to rejoice in the Lord and rejoice in the Lord always and to call those things to be not as though they were. It's so awkward to understand when you begin to step into the spirit of faith where it says what we believe, we speak. And I speak things that I believe. I don't just speak things that I feel. I speak what I believe before I feel it so that I might feel it. I'm just saying that's just an example of all these things that they're awkward at first when you begin the journey, but they become second nature and actually real nature. <laughs> they become your nature because the nature of God's been, in, you know, you become a partaker of his divine nature. So I just wanted you to see these character traits that are in him that are impulsive, impetuous, but it's a desire for justice. Yeah, he's angry. Yeah, he's doing the wrong things and all this kind of stuff, and he murders. But again, every single one of us, like I said, have the same thing that's been in us. I don't care if you're the mildest, meekest, in the natural sense of the word meek lady in this room. Before you were God, you had some thoughts that if they were to be made manifest, you know, about some people, you know, they would have burned or been cut or been hit by cars or I hope they die or whatever kind of thoughts that go through people's minds. We're all murderers. We've all murdered. And so did Moses. Now, I said here, and then in point three, point C, he finds himself, this intercessor in training, thrust out this circumstance. And there was something happens to him where all that was easy, as far as him living in Pharaoh's household, is lost. And he finds himself out in a wilderness. He doesn't know where he's, you know, who he's, who he is, or really what his purpose is, what's going to happen in his future. But he's now been taken out of that comfort zone and he's been ushered into the danger zone, as it were. He's out there in the midst of the stuff. And this is kind of a journey, like I said, I can see in parallels with so many of us. Now, F.B. Meyer wrote a book called Moses, the Servant of God. And this is a, just a quote from his book. It says, there was true heroism in the act when Moses stepped down from Pharaoh's throne to share the lot of his brethren. But it would take many a long year of lonely waiting and trial before this strong and radiant nature could be broken down and shaped into a vessel, meet for the master's use and prepared for every good work. One blow struck when God's time is fulfilled is worth a thousand struck in premature eagerness, he said. I thought that was a good statement. But again, here's where you begin to see some, you know, Scripture can't violate itself. And though we don't see a lot said in, in Exodus about this statement of him making a choice to leave, we find it in Hebrews. So I just put it here. If you don't have an Amplified, I put these next Scriptures. I put in point D that, you know, Scripture tells us that Moses did make strong choices and he made some good choices in the midst of these bad ones. So this is Hebrews chapter 11, remember, verse 23 through 27 where this list of, as it were, you know, people who live by faith. And it says this, prompted by faith, prompted by faith, Moses, after his birth, was kept concealed for three months by his parents because they saw how comely the child was and they were not overawed and terrified by the king's decree. In other words, so his parents moved in faith even before they understood what was happening. Verse 24, aroused by faith, Moses, when he had grown to maturity and become great, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Again, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, so this is truth. 
He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter because, and here's something that really shows uh, something that's in the character of this band that God would love to have in all of our character. Because he preferred to share the oppression, to suffer the hardships and bear the shame of the people of God rather than to have the fleeting enjoyment of a sinful life. He considered the contempt and abuse and shame that was born for the Christ, the Messiah who was to come, to be greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt, for he looked forward. Everybody say forward. For he looked forward and away to the reward or the recompense. Motivated by faith, he left Egypt behind him, being unawed and undismayed by the wrath of the king. For he, ne- I love this in the amplitude, he never flinched, but held staunchly to his purpose, and he endured steadfastly as one who gazed on him who is invisible. Now, in the Amplified, in these passages, like I said, there's a whole lot to be seen here. And again, it's the training of an intercessor. And it's something that has to be in the spirit of those who are going to find themselves between God and man. And possibly somebody's going to be found placed in a position where they're going to be used by God to help a situation. And let me, in the, before I even start on some of that and go through these verses, let me, let's go right back to the basic meaning of the word intercessor. You know, the basic meaning of the word is one who's called to go before a king in behalf of another, right? One who's called to go or to stand before a king in behalf of another. Now, herein is where I always say people have to, you really need to hear something. Why intercession in its purest form can be and, and often is one of the most powerful forces there is, is because true intercession never has to do with anything that will benefit you. What I mean is intercession is when you stand before God in behalf of another, of another. It's not about you. Do you hear me? It's not about you. Did you really hear that? It's not about you. That's why if you want to get kind of legalistically accurate, you can't intercede for yourself because it's a misconstruence of the very definition of the word. You pray for yourself, but intercession is a, is a whole other issue. Again, in, you know, uh, Reeves Howe's book, Intercessor, he's the one that made the difference. He made the difference between the two, between an intercessor and a prayer warrior. He's talking about the difference in that book. He spoke about the difference between people who were indeed prayer warriors but then those who found themselves in the place of intercession. And really, when, you, when again, you honestly study intercession, intercession, like, again, you see the verses that we love to quote when we teach the basics of intercession, Isaiah 62, you know, that God sets intercessors on the wall. It says, who will never hold their peace day or night, never hold their peace day or night, and people, it says, they are the people that will give the eternal one, no rest until the job is done. In other words, intercession is something that you wake up with and go to bed with. It's not something that you, I think I'll intercede for that today if, if, if you can hear what I'm trying to say. And see, what I don't want to do is take away from you the when a church says, let's go into intercession now. 
I don't want you to jump up and get legalistic, you hear me, and say, that's not really intercession, because intercession is... <laughs> but I want you to hear that what I'm talking about is something that comes from a deeper part of the will of God. All I know is it's something where you would love to get rid of it if you could, but you can't. I've been an intercessor three times in my life, in my definition of intercession. Where, I mean, it's like something that God takes... And you, you have to accept it, but he goes, mm -hmm. and you go, okay. And that was the first mistake I made way back when. <laughs> and it's with you. And I mean, it's just like all of a sudden there's this thing and you can't, you go, I'm telling you, you just, it's just constantly there. It's like you wear it, you smell it, you taste it. It's just, it's something that's, you're surrounded with it. And you see this picture of Moses because he finds himself, like I said, in the midst of this, multitude of people and he can't look anywhere without seeing what he's called to be the leader of or the part of or the deliverer of if you see what I'm trying to say you just it's something that just hits you because it's an issue like I said that you get you just you, you can't get away from it though you would like to and this is why again you have to have so much other stuff going on because you can get into a spirit, of, you can get into grief, you can get into, like I said, a, get a spirit of grief on you, you can get all kinds of stuff because you can get labored, you can get underneath something where it becomes not the burden of the Lord, where all of a sudden you, you get downcast to the point that you can't even function. If you don't have the joy of the Lord to temper this, as it were, commission to be an intercessor. Now, like I said, when, when, it would be probably be good if, if you haven't read Reese Howell's book, Intercessor, you know, the kind of, he's one of the first books that really lit all this charismatic thing about prayer off some 20 some years ago. But I always remember chapter five. I always say that because I, I just remember the title. Chapter, the title of chapter five is The Holy Ghost Takes Possession. But he talked about how God would begin to have him deal with, the, God began to put things on him to do, and he wasn't allowed to tell anybody anything that he was doing. And in those days, I forget, well, just pre-World War II or, or pre-World War I, I forget. In those days, you know, an Englishman, or even a Welshman, never went outside without his coat, without his coat and his hat, especially his hat. And uh, it's so funny when you read this book because it talked about how God showed him a homeless man in Swansea, and God instructed him. He said, I want you in this, oh, I, I, if I had the book, I don't, I, I mean, I've got it, but I don't have it here. I, this is just coming up in my spirit. So I'm only, I can only paraphrase, but this one part so struck me because I remember I was young in the Lord when I was reading this and I went, would God really have you do that? See, identification, intercession has a lot to do with identifying with somebody else's problem. And in this particular case, God told Reese Howe to go out, and he said, I want you, I want this man saved. But see, what he was doing was using this whole thing of intercession to actually bring Rees Hal to another state of understanding. And he said, I want you to go sleep where he sleeps, eat what he eats. And God had this talk with him, and he said, Well, I can't do that. He said, Well, he said, I'll have to tell my family what I'm up to. And God says, You can't tell anyone. And he said, But Lord, if I don't tell my family, they'll all think you're crazy. They'll all think I'm crazy. And he said, you can't tell anyone. But Lord, they'll all think, you can't tell anyone what you're doing. And so he said, one of the statements is, he said, so I went out hatless and coatless. 
And he said, and all the neighborhood looked at me and said, Reese, what's wrong with you? Why, where's your hat? I guess it was some big deal in those days, whatever. Where's your hat? Where's that? But he said he would go out, and I forget if it was three months or six weeks, I don't remember the time, but he went and he would share with this man and talk to this man. He ate what he ate, he slept what he slept, and he wore what he wore. And, but if you can get past that wonderful little thing, once he did that, the guy got saved, okay, the guy gets saved, comes to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, accepts Jesus Christ, gets saved. And then when Rees comes back into his prayer closet, God begins to talk to him and he says, he talked to, the, talked to him, I forget about the exact phrase, but he talked to him about levels of attainment. And he said, once you gain that, you'll never have to pay that price again. He said, once you gain that, in other words, once you gain this victory through intercession in this area, you'll never have to pay that price again because you've paid it once for me. You've proven yourself. And he said, I found myself able, now actually his son, Samuel Howes, I don't, Samuel Howes, who's, I don't know if he just died or what. But anyhow, I think his son Samuel's still alive, but he'll tell, he would share stories about how his father then would, would find any time God spoke to him about a man that was in that similar condition, he'd pray one short prayer and the man would be saved. They said within seven days, every single time. That was incredible. And God began to lead him through these things about gaining what he said, a level of attainment in the spirit where you were trained in this thing called intercession. And of course, later on in the book, you'll read in the book where I think it was a world, it must've been World War II. Do you remember? World War II, where all of the stories about all of the prayers over the battles and how God would show them things that were happening in Germany and show them things that were happening in different theaters of the war before they happened, how they prayed them out, you know, even before they happened, you know, and then they'd see them in the headlines and what have you. And it's just that there is that realm. You know, there is that realm that's available. But intercession is different than just prayer. And there's a training that is offered, I guess I should say, is offered us that, trust me, not everybody wants to take up. And, and it doesn't mean that if you're called as an intercessor that you're going to be maybe the only one ever used for the rest of your life. Like I said, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm being weird, but I know that I know that I know. And even that sounds bad. I can't tell you the exact circumstances that I was. I know that God used me. Can I put it that way? That God used me as an intercessor. I'm not saying that there weren't others. Did you hear me? But I know that I know that I know that God has used me as an intercessor on three occasions where I saw something through to the end. And I tell you, God gets so personal with you that he'll let you know that you had something to do with it because he'll know you'll keep your mouth shut. Because if you go tell everybody you had something to do with it, he can't use you because you're going to draw glory unto yourself. This is why I keep saying, see, there's a big difference between, like I said, just being involved in prayer and possibly becoming a candidate to be an intercessor. And, uh, but the fact is, God's looking for intercessors. That's what I want to bring you back to. The Bible says God's looking for people to stand in the gap. He's looking for people who will build up the hedge, stand in the breach. Now the basics, when I used to teach on intercession years ago, I used to do this teaching on so you want to be an intercessor. And I'd talk about, let's talk about what a gap is. Because <laughs> everybody, you know, it became popular for a while. I'm going to, every, you know, people started to go to the prayer groups because it became popular to be part of the prayer groups. And intercession was a big deal, quote unquote, if you know what I mean. 
and everybody would be involved in the prayer movement. And so they go there. But see, it's like I said, son, we'll, we'll make anything religious. You know, we'll religify anything. <laughs> we'll bring it down to where it's just some low-level stuff when this, God is holy. God is holy. These are holy callings. They're really holy callings. And you'll find, you'll find yourself in these positions sometimes where, like I said, God will, will offer you a gap to stand in. But the only way I used to illustrate is this. If any of you ever used to watch the old American Roadrunner cartoons or stuff like that or any old cartoons? Do you remember, you ever seen the old cartoons where like, you know, a dam's about to burst and this, this stupid Roadrunner's standing here in the middle of it and he's got his toe stuck in it and this look of horror comes on his face as he realizes the whole dam's going to explode, you know. And all of a sudden this whole thing opens up and he's standing here, like a cartoon character, if you can picture in the hair, and this stuff, this wall, this wall, this mass of stuff that's behind it, you know, and his hair is flying the back, you know, all this stuff is going like that. Well, that's kind of begins to tell you what a gap is. A gap is where there's been a breach, and what's been behind it is now flooding through, and you choose to stand where all the muck is coming through. Where everybody else wants to run from the muck, you run to the muck. <laughs> oh, well. I don't know if you're hearing me or not. But see, to stand in the gap means to stand where the breach has been made. That, well, even in warfare terms, that's where the enemy armies are racing through, right? That's where the enemy is coming through. 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 An intercessor is a person who will go and stand in the middle of it. And it's lonely because there's not a lot of other people that want to stand there where... That's why you've got to have so much more going on in your spirit as far as your relationship and your connection to heaven than just the fact that I go to church on Sunday morning. If, if you want to get, if, if you can, this is why I harp on character and I harp on the love walk and I harp on all that stuff all the time is because I know that I know that I know that some of you have probably already, but I know that I know that I know that some of you will be offered the opportunity of being an intercessor, but you've got to have some backbone. Trust me. Otherwise, you may pray for situations and thank God, please pray for situations. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? You know, it's just like the different intercessors are basically the special forces of the body of Christ in many areas. Huge army, all of it has its part, but I want to tell you right now, as we stand here today, there are people all over the world doing things that you would, they'd blow your ever-living mind if you knew what some of these SEAL teams and these special forces teams and these Delta squads are up to. I mean, these guys that have been trained handpicked, pulled out. They were the ones that were able to handle the training. And they're back and they're behind. They're in places that you'd never believe. They're in the heart of, of Syria. They're in the heart of Iran. They're in the heart of these places. And they're there now. You know what I mean? But anyhow, when you talk about like the Delta Force, it's funny. The Delta Force is different than any other part of the armed forces. The army, the army will, not will not acknowledge that they exist yet everybody knows they do. 
This is fact. Delta Force people never wear uniforms. Delta Force people never salute because they never would give away the rank of another individual, ever. And for all intents and purposes, this, it's so funny, everybody knows they exist, but they don't exist. <laughs> they don't exist. But they're there. They're there. They're people that have had specialized training. They've had specialized psychological training. They know how to withstand pressure that 99.9% .9 of humanity could never stand. Their pain threshold has been stretched to the point that it's beyond most humanity because of what they're experienced. They go through stuff that's, you know, like it's illegal to talk about, really, because it's outside of the law of normal uh, training criteria. But in the real world, in the real world, people who are in positions of security in the decision-making process, they know that what they need to know can only be discovered by people that are trained outside of the normal form of training because of what they're going to be exposed to. Now, you may think I'm being really melodramatic, but that's the truth. And what I'm trying to say is, you see, intercession, if we, if, if we really ever got serious about it, I mean, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a different calling. I'll tell you, it evidently is a pretty high calling because Jesus Christ is the chief intercessor. And really, if you think about that, you know, he's the pattern. He's the great intercessor. Jesus was. And uh, you look at what he went through. I mean, consider, you know, that's why the Bible says in Hebrews, you know, consider all these things lest you faint in your mind. But you see, to be an intercessor means that you're going to, now don't, don't please don't mishear me here, but to actually begin to think about becoming an intercessor means that we have to start thinking about being a whole lot more Christ-like. Because to endure what he endured, we have to understand what he understood. To pay the price that he paid. No one will ever pay the price that he paid. But to walk after him in a place of discipleship, unless you think I'm wrong, you know you've had that teaching before when I talk about the difference between the born-again experience, which the Bible teaches is regeneration versus conversion, versus discipleship. Remember, there's those three levels. Well, so it's the same thing. See, there's prayer, there's prayer warriors, but then there's intercessors. And intercessors will go through some training that will break the neck of other people. And so when, you know, it's like Francis Frangipan says in his book, The Three Battlegrounds, the mind, you know, the spirit, and so, and actually the church, the world, and the spirit. But he talks about this in the very, in the, you know, in that first curriculum I ever wrote that I put his whole introduction in, into, my, into my curriculum. And I asked him, is it all right if I put this in my curriculum? And he said, yeah, but he, he's got this statement there. He said, I love it. He said, you don't declare war on Satan on Monday and then choose on Tuesday that you don't want to fight. Because Satan, as he said, is an ancient, an ancient and a treacherous foe. And, to, and some people open themselves to some things that, quite frankly, they don't have enough training. At. That's why I won't pray with some people about certain situations. No, I don't care what they think. 
because I know for to, to do so in some areas will damage them. What's going to and so you just you just let people think what they want to think because some of these things you don't tie into because it's convenient because some of these things if you tie into you better be ready to go the mile, go the distance, go the distance. So this is why, like I said, I harp on some of this other stuff because everybody, like this other place I'm at, and I'm doing this Bible study thing, and everybody, oh, I want, you know, well, we thought he was going to come and teach and, you know, some, where we you know, pull down all the strongholds in the city tomorrow. Uh, why is he teaching on the love of God, you know? And I get, you know, I hear that so often. I just, and all I, all I can do is smile because I go, well, because that's what you need to hear first. Because... If I begin to show you some of the things that I've been involved in personally in my lifetime, and tomorrow you get angry every time somebody looks at you wrong, you're going to die. You're going to get sick. You're going to lose your business. You're going to have all kinds of hell happen in your marriage. All kinds of stuff happen because that realm is real. Now, I'm not glorifying that stuff. I'm saying it's real, whether you like it or not, whether you think it is or not. It's real. It's real. And that's why you, Jesus had 12 men that he discipled, and even they were nuts. <laughs> but, but he discipled them. And a disciple is someone who, well, remember Luke 14, except you hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your wife, yea, your own life also. You cannot. So you won't be able to be a disciple. Because to get into this position where you have the fruits, have the fruit that comes from discipleship, it means that first there's been something happen in your spirit that causes the attraction you have to the things of God to be so great that it makes the attraction you have to your own family and loved ones seem like hatred by comparison. Because the word again means relative disregard. It doesn't mean that God wants you to hate your wife or hate your husband. Because as I always say, God never takes away from me, only multiplies to. If you love God that much, you'll be the best husband on earth or what have you. So it's just, that, like I said, see, this is a process and I think God brings things to us and works through a process of elimination a lot of times. And again, because of wrong teaching, wrong structure, whatever, we go through all these things and we don't really see what is out there. And yet today in Christ, we have this opportunity for the protection of God that's available to all of us if we will simply be quick to repent, quick to forgive, because again, he knows that we're flesh. He knows that we make mistakes every day of our life. See, the issue is not that you become perfect. That's not what I want you to hear. I'm not trying to say that every one of you have to be perfect before you can become an intercessor. But you better be rapid, if not perfect. You need to be very, very quick and mobile as far as your ability to repent and to get your emotions under control and to not be led astray by every little thing that happens to you and let it knock you for six. Because... If you aren't in possession of your own life, it's going to be real tough to be able to administer his life in a situation and stand in a gap. Because that stuff will hit you in the face sometimes, some people, for, the, for their whole lives. I, I only got a few minutes, so I can't even get to this. So I'm going to tell a story about one Chinese missionary, one Chinese man that I had the opportunity to meet 
I don't remember his name. He was 83 years old. He was at Dr. Cole's, uh, one of these uh, Lions World Conferences, 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. He had become a believer in China, a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't remember. Oh, because this is when I was with Dr. Cole. This has got to have been, I've been here since 1980. When did I get here? I've been, I've been here 20 years. What's 20 from? 1984. So it was about 1986. I've only been here a couple of years. No, it was 1988. 1988. And he was 80 years old then. So back in the 40s sometime, you know, is when this man received Christ. And China was not too kind to people that were outspoken about their Christianity compared to today. And this man told his story. Actually, another man told a story for him about how where they imprisoned him was way out into the country. And his job in this prison farm thing, they had this, this steps, like four or five steps up to this thing for the latrine, the toilets, and they had this ditch. You know where I'm going already, don't you? They had this ditch that was about eight foot long and about four foot wide and about three to four foot deep. And he would never recant his faith, and because they'd mock him and laugh at him for being, his only crime was that he was a Christian. Every single day of his life for 40 years, 40 years, at five in the morning, this guy was marched out, and he'd walk into this up to his waist, human excrement, and his job was to work to clean that, to shovel this every day of his life. We're talking about 5,000 men in this place where he was. That's what he did from 5 a.m. in the morning to 5 p.m. at night. For 40 years, for 40 years, okay? 40 years. And the man said that when he'd walk into that, he'd walk into that and he'd sing the old hymn, Into the Garden I Come. <laughs> and he told a little story, the little short story that he told through the interpreter, he, could, he just talked so slow. But I'm getting to the part that really hit us, blew our minds. But he, he said, you know, he said it was really liberating I forget the word he used. He said, because I never had to worry after my day's work about anybody wanting to bother me <laughs> because of the stench that he carried. But Dr. Cole asked him, would you like to get up and say something? And this old man got up, and you know, after this other kind of told the story, this 80-some-year-old Chinese man, short man, he got up, and he stood in front of this mic, and he looked out. He's in America. I don't know how long he's been out of China. I don't remember because by then we were all too shook up. <laughs> and I can't do it. But he just looked, and he took this mic in his hand, and he fell to his knees, and he put his hand, and he screamed at the height of his voice. And I, because of the mic, he just screamed, China! He just screamed. He just screamed. He just, that's all he lived for. I mean, to see, that was his prayer. China. You know, like Braveheart, liberty, freedom, freedom, whatever. These are, these are the, <laughs> they're, you know, they're some of the prices that people pay um, that hold fast to stuff. And you know what I'm getting at today. Bless God, if the seats are turned that direction, we won't go to church. You know what I mean? The guy didn't wear a tie. I'm not going to receive from him. You know what I'm saying? And all I'm getting at is this. Intercession is something that 
I don't know, it happens from having slipped up, messed up, and found yourself where you are encountered by God, which is what we're going to get to when we see him get to this bush. Something happens. Something occurs. I guarantee you, in every life, something will occur at some point in your life that will strike your curiosity, which is what, it, which is what happens with him. It says he sees and he looks and he sees this bush that burns and yet is not consumed. And Moses says, I will draw near and see this. Now, as I've got my notes, I'm ahead of myself. I, we don't know how many other shepherds may have seen it or if any ever did at all. I don't know. But the fact is, in Moses, in this guy that's going to become an intercessor, also you see this curiosity when he sees something to know more. Not, and so I put in this saying, I don't know, why is it so many fear, some fear him and some revere him? God. Father, just help us. I hope I'm not leaving a wrong impression right now, but Lord, I know that there's such a call going out in the spirit because there's such an urgency in the earth. So I don't want anybody under condemnation, but I also want people to not say they haven't been told the truth about some of these things that they bite into. So I just ask in Jesus' name that you would help us, Father, to become very quiet uh, and think through some things and look at the scriptures and consider and, and be, be blessed, Father, if you've called us, to, where you've called all of us to pray. And be blessed, Father, if you've called us to be people that are literally warriors in prayer. But also, Lord, that you'd help us to see, really, um, the high calling of the intercessor and the real reward that comes with it that we'll get to later. So, Lord, we ask your blessing upon our time today in Jesus' name. Amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.